Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. everybody. Happy Labor Day weekend. If you're in the room, I know one thing about you. You do not own a lake house, all right? That's okay. I don't own one either. We are in the same boat. See what I did there, everybody? Yeah? If you do own one and you're watching online, thanks for joining us. Just know one thing. We have a teaching team. I can take Sundays off. Don't be afraid to ask, all right? Welcome this morning. Today's a different Sunday. It is small group Sunday, and we're going to talk about our values at CBC, and we're going to talk about why we choose to pursue Jesus through small groups. But before we do that, I'm going to ask uh, the Zetsmans if they want to come up here real quick, and if any elders are in the room, if they want to come on up to the stage. We are an elder-led church, which means that if you're not happy with the church, it's not my fault, all right? (laughs) Kidding. Um, We believe it's biblical. In the first century, the New Testament church, time and time again, we see a board of elders of godly men that ran the church and helped kind of decipher the leadings of God and and correct theology and talk through what good leadership looks like. And every once in a while, uh, we rotate new elders under our board. And today, we rotate a new elder, John Zetsman and his wife Debbie's up here. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good morning. Good morning. We got some other elders. I'm going to go. I'm going to just get in the middle. I'll, you know. Uh, We got some other elders over here. We got Dave and Bruce and Pete is the chairman of our elder board here in the middle. And so real quick. Um, just tell us, I man, give me your 30-second history of how long have you been at Crossroads before or after I was born, that whole thing. It was on the day you were born. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Everyone knew about Christmas it. Christmas 1983, yeah. <laughs> We've been here a little over 20 years. Uh, Debbie's very involved in the ladies' ministries here. I've been a deacon for several years, was a deacon for several years, and the chairman for a little while. Uh, we've been, I'll make a pitch for small groups. We've been to small groups ever since practically the first day we walked in the door here. Uh, it's where you make family. Uh, yeah. it's, it's fantastic. We raised two daughters here, one in Washington, D.C. now, the other in Denver. So our small group is our family, our local family, and it's very, very worthwhile getting involved in those. That's great. So we've been talking for a couple months now about you joining the board, and we have a process, and we asked our body a a month and a half ago that, hey, if there's any reason that we've missed that that John shouldn't join, let us know, and we heard nothing, which is a good deal. Um, So just real quick, as we had conversations about it, uh, why why does joining our elder board sound good to you now? Like, What what drew you to it a little bit as we talked about it? Well, it's an opportunity to serve. Uh, It's a chance to, to help. It's a chance to get involved more, and I've been wanting to do that for a while yeah. since I rolled off the deacon board. And uh, I, I just see God's hand moving in this church, and I'd like to be a part of it. That's great. I was going to ask you what you're most excited about at CBC, but that's a pretty good answer. You also gave a good sermon on why to join a small group. Let's go home, everybody. <laughs> all right? Uh, well, hey, man, we're really excited for you. Uh, part of why we're all up here is just we want you to know who the elder board is, and uh, we want to be in contact and communication if people have needs, wants, desires, they have questions about the church. Uh, we definitely are a, a, a transparent, hopefully, leader uh, group and board. So be praying for us, and we're going to pray for John. Pete, would you mind praying for John and the elder board in our church? Okay. Father, we thank you that you love this church, 
that you love the body, that you've given us an organizational structure within your word as to how that we might properly shepherd this body of believers. Father, pray for John now as he joins us. Father, pray for all of us on the elder board that you give us wisdom, that your spirit would continue to work among us. Father, we pray that you just uh, guard John now as he comes on board. Give us wisdom, and uh, we uh, just thank you for moving in his heart to join our board. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. Should be fun, man. Appreciate it. Looking forward to it. First. Thanks. All right. So a little family business, but good business. We are going to talk about small groups today. And it's a little different Sunday. We, we feel like small groups is how we pursue Jesus at Crossroads Bible Church. And one of the questions I get as a pastor more often than not, one of the top three, the big three, is simply, what is God's will for my life? You ever thought through that? What God's will is for your life. We have articles on it, magazines devoted to it, movies about it. That's a huge, daunting, weighty question. What is God's will for my life? And guess what? The Bible answers that question. In 1 Thessalonians, the writer tells us that this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is a big word that just means our pursuit of Jesus every single day. Here's what I want to do today. I want to sit for just a second and talk about why I think we've diluted the idea of sanctification based on our cultural analysis of where the church has come from in the last 50 years. And I want to talk about why we believe in small groups at CBC. Because the scriptures make it clear we follow Jesus and we look more like him, the, part, the process of sanctification. It is the will of God for every believer, new believer or believer that's been one for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. But sometimes we focus on justification, which is when we come to Christ, and ultimate sanctification, which is when we're with Christ again, and we miss the messy middle. And at CBC, we believe the messy middle best happens in small groups. So let's take just a second and talk through why I think we've diluted the idea of sanctification in the church in the last 40, 50, 60 years. I think there's two primary means by which we do this. One of my favorite podcasts is called This Cultural Moment, and it's two guys that are way smarter than me. One of them has an accent, so he just wins. And, and they, 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 they talk about where the church is in culture, how we're being shaped and formed, and how we're being shaped and formed as a result of the world we live in. And so I think one of the primary ways that maybe sanctification has been overlooked is because we come from a gospel of salvation. And let me, let me parse it out for us a little bit. Salvation is a good thing. Salvation is a great thing. We join and follow Jesus because of salvation. But here's what we need to know. Jesus called disciples, not believers, right? And there's a difference. In Matthew 28, he's leaving for the last time and he looks at his disciples and he says this, his followers, and he says, you're going to go and you're going to ask people to be my disciples, not my believers. Believing is good, but it's not the end goal. Believing is a good start, but it's not the finish line. Jesus calls disciples, not just believers. That's where sanctification comes in. I think, I don't know how you came to faith, but growing up for me in the mid-90s, and really stemming from the Billy Graham era in the late 50s and onward, is the church became a church that valued and measured metrics. Our chief goal was to get people saved. Hear me, that is an amazingly good goal. I love that goal. I think that goal should be a goal of every church, every Sunday, everywhere, every time. So we, we started this culture where we pretty much defined the gospel as salvation and salvation alone. And, and I wonder if that shaped how we see, follow, and pursue Jesus. I remember one time when I was a youth pastor, 
had a student who went to uh, another church one time with a friend, and it was a really big, really great church, and they just did things a little differently. Remember, if you were new, <laughs> you got to have a party with the pastors with pizza. That's cool. And they put you in this box, and they whisked around some $5 bills, and you can grab some for 60 seconds, and then you got put in a raffle to like win a PlayStation if you brought a friend and you were new. Awesome. So he came to me, and he said, Charlie, why don't we do that? We could get so many more people in the building. And I said, probably, but do you want to pay for it? But I said, probably. Um, I said, but here's what I come down to. This is what Jesus hints towards as well, is how you are saved so often determines the follower you become. What you're called into is what you become. And so if we call people into a culture of simply salvation, I wonder what that means for today. I wonder what that means for the here and now. If you were simply saved for the next world and you forget about this one, then what happens? What does it say about if God cares about this world? Sanctification is the process that says God not only is trying to save me tomorrow, but he's in process of that today. Every single day incrementally. Sanctification is, is beautiful because it reminds me that God's not given up on us right here and right now. And in a world that's hard, I need that promise. In a world that's hard, I, I need to be reminded that God isn't just the God of one day, but the God of two day. In a world that's hard, I need to be reminded that my gospel is one that calls people into small, small series of redemption day in and day out as we look more like Jesus. It's a gospel of sanctification of not just the one days, but the todays. But so often, as we talk about the gospel, if it's simply about salvation, we miss out on what he's doing right here and right now. A friend of mine this week sent me a quote uh, from a, a French philosopher that resonated with me. And he's not a Jesus person, but he actually wrote a book in 1971 on kind of the rise of movements in the world, specifically America in the middle 20th century. And he talks about these groups that promise something bigger, better, and more in the future. He talks about groups that promise utopias, and this is what he says. He says, utopia is not under the slightest obligation to produce results. Its sole function is to allow its devotees to condemn what exists in the name of what does not. So often I feel like the church focuses so much on the one day that we forget that our job today isn't just to say what's wrong with it, but to help fix it, because that's what Jesus did. To love well, to serve well, to influence others in the ways of Jesus and to increase joy. We are called to be a people that are not just saved, but sanctified. Sanctification says that God is changing my life now and my world now. It's not a promise for tomorrow, but a present reality today. That's why the writer says, do you want to know what God's will for your life is? Be sanctified. That's why at CBC, we believe growing people change. And and it doesn't just mean, man, I didn't like broccoli last month, but look what God did in my life, all right? What we mean is that God is literally changing you from who you were in sin to who you are in Jesus, this beautiful process by which people see the majesty and the power and the goodness and the beauty of Jesus. You don't get that every day if you don't focus on sanctification. So we have to push past this salvific culture, even though it's a really good thing, and say it's not the only thing, because salvation happens ultimately in Jesus, but every single day we see reasons why it's good as he's saving us from who we were under the influence of sin to who we are under the influence of his reign and rule and majesty and goodness. Sanctification is beautiful. And then two, I think the second reason why, or cultural um, Theme, theme why we, we've missed the sanctification culture, the beauty of it is not just a salvation culture, but 
we hit a really strong and hard line of a morality culture coming out of kind of the, the, the salvation culture. This is my wheelhouse of youth groupness in the mid-90s, that God wants you to look right and be right and listen to the right music and not have sex before marriage because that makes everyone happy. And there's a whole term that came out of it, moralistic therapeutic deism. And what our faith turned into was just us having the right rules at the right time to be the right people. And there's nothing wrong with right actions. There's nothing wrong with holiness. Here's the problem. If holiness collapses on itself to be the end goal, we miss the purpose of salvation in the first place. So the guy that wrote the very famous book, I Kiss Stating Goodbye, good book, really great book. He talks about the idea that God wants you to save yourself from marriage. I, I, I appreciate that. But as we focused only on that in the late 90s, what we didn't realize was that we missed Jesus. We missed not only the perspective of salvation, but the power of salvation to make us more like Jesus. One author says it like this, our call to holiness is not a quest for perfection, rather it's a journey of being perfected. And so now there's actually a documentary out called I Survived, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and it's all about how if we make morality the ultimate end, then it can't withstand the weight of that, and it'll crumble. It's not a long-lasting solution for growth. This is Romans 1, 101. This is what the author says, is that we, what we do as people, because we want to worship something, and there's a break in what we can worship because of sin, what we do is we take the things that we see, and we make them the thing that we worship. We worship our creation over the creator. It doesn't always have to be physical things. It can be the idea of good laws. Look at the Old Testament and the Jews. And so we have these two ideas shaping our, and I would say devaluing our view of sanctification, this idea that God says, this is what I want from you, that you might be sanctified. And so when Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, it's a lifelong process to learn and grow in his goodness. In the first century world, specifically, that term disciple is a little different than we use it now. Disciple was an office, if you will. It was a, a profession, if you will. It's what every Jewish mom wanted their kid to grow up and be. A disciple of a rabbi, if you didn't know, started around age five. You went to this Jewish school called the Best Sefer. It was elementary school for good Jews. And you'd go, and you'd learn about the Old Testament. You'd oftentimes memorize the whole thing. And then after you graduated from that a year and a half-ish in, they would say the best and the brightest can keep going. Those that weren't the cream of the crop, go back and do what your dad did. And then you went to middle school, if you will, and you learned the rest of the Old Testament word for word. You studied the law and the prophets. And if you got through that and you were the best of the best, they said you can keep going. And if you weren't, they said go and do what your father did. And the last level around age 14, 15, 16 was called the Talmudim, which is Hebrew for disciple. It's when you literally went to a rabbi and you said, I want to follow you because I think I can be just like you. And he said, come and follow. It's a lifelong process by which you then followed this guy around and learned and grew. And maybe by the age of 30, you could start teaching about it. Discipleship was never a single decision. It was one we make every single day. It's the beauty of sanctification. That's the world in which Jesus said, come and follow me. He had a clear definition for what it was. And so today... I, I just want to talk about the beauty of sanctification in our pursuit of Jesus, because here's what I think it is. Sanctification is simply the increasing influence of Jesus in our life. That's it. Slowly and surely over time. Not because you have to, but because Jesus is beautiful. Not because you're forced to, because Jesus is worth it. Not because you feel like he's going to save you, that's already happened, but because what's saving you keeps drawing you back. 
Sanctification is us letting the influence of Jesus through the scriptures and friends and family and other believers grow in our lives. And it's what God calls us to do. At CBC, we do it through small groups. And so one Sunday a year, because we value it so much, (laughs) one Sunday a year, we have small group Sunday, and I preach a shorter sermon so that we can talk about groups. And it's good. So let me pivot. That's the why. Let me give you kind of what that looks like at CBC. Let me give you a couple reasons why I think groups are worth it and why I think groups are good. And what we're going to do is we're going to hit a point, and each time at the end of it, you're going to see a video from one of our ministry leaders that's going to explain what groups look like in their neck of the woods. So out the gate, you might, when we get to the kidsmen video, you might say, I don't have kids. This isn't for me. It is. It is for you because I want you to know that we do groups at CBC top to bottom organizationally because we believe in the power of relationship to change people into the image of Jesus. And so what, what I want you to walk away with as we go and maybe sign up for groups if you're not in one is just the weight of groups in our culture and why we think it's good because it's not checking a box because sanctification is God's will for you and me so that people might see the beauty of Jesus. So if we talk about why small groups, it's a good place to start. We have to start with the idea that Jesus did it. Have you ever played the game, like, if you were God, would you? I do all the time. It's probably because I'm arrogant. I play the game, if I was God, would I do something? And, and you got to ask the question. God rolled out salvation through Jesus in the time he wanted, in the place he wanted, with the people he wanted. He wasn't backdoored into, well, I didn't want to come for another couple thousand years, but I guess now is as good a time as any, you know? And Jesus rolled out his plan of redemption for salvation through his blood on the cross to 12 people in the middle of Israel. He chose that time, that place, and those people. Let me tell you, he could have been a megachurch if he wanted, right? He could have started and planted and spoke every Sunday to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Dude was God. Also, we have evidence that when he spoke, people just were amazed. Literally, the scriptures tell us when he spoke, the teachers of the law, the guys that did this for a living, were amazed at at how he spoke about the law as one who knew it better than everybody else. Even the people that did it for a living said, wow, that guy's got something, you know? So we have to start with the idea that God can save, roll out his plan of redemption any way, shape, how he wants to, and he decided to do it with a small group. That is vitally important. I think that that speaks to why churches do groups. I think it speaks to why we should do groups. I think it speaks to why I think groups are powerful. Because there's, I think, four reasons, lots more than this. This is my four, why I think groups are good. And the first one is I think we grow in groups because groups find us. Ultimately, groups find us where we are. When, When I think about sanctification in the New Testament, like my my example for that is Peter. Because... Well, first of all, I'm a lot like Peter. I'm, I'm going to say something and think about what I said afterwards, you know? <laughs> Glad I have this job. Um, I, I like the brashness of Peter and the passion of Peter. I like the immaturity of Peter because for some reason it, it shows me that he's just honest. And, and I like Peter because Jesus meets him and says, I have this plan for you, for you to grow. And for most of the New Testament, the, the Gospels, you don't really see it. Even right up until when he denies Jesus after the crucifixion, he started by saying, you were going to be fishers of men. And, and then right after that, in Acts 2 and 3, we see him give this really great sermon about Jesus throughout the entire Bible, and then 3,000 people come to faith that day. And he finally delivered on the promise that Jesus promised him back when he called him. And so in Matthew 4, it says, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. 
He saw two brothers. They were Simon, his other name was Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were putting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Here's what I love about this. We went through the different levels of being a disciple. Jesus was considered a rabbi, a teacher of the law at this point. Whenever a disciple was called, he went to the rabbi and he said, hey, I have found you, I like you, can I follow you? With all of the people in his group, Jesus went to them, where they were, doing what they were doing, and said, come and follow me. There's a huge philosophical difference, fundamental difference in how Jesus called his people. Small groups remind us, small groups grow us because they meet us where we are, and that's huge. And so at CBC, we have a lot of groups We have groups that meet on different days of the week and groups that meet in different age demographics and groups that meet in morning time. And in some groups, one guy said he has a group that meets at 6.30 in the morning. I said, what time is that? That exists? Um, He said, come and join. I said, I'll pray for you (laughs) the night before. Um, We have all these groups that meet all times and all places because sometimes, sometimes, here's the deal. Sometimes we need God to meet us where we are, you know? We need a reminder of that. That's why we define discipleship. It's out there on the wall as know ourselves, know God, make him known. Knowing ourselves simply means to realize that we aren't the gospel in and of ourselves that we need. It's a hard realization. It's okay sometimes to say, hey man, this is all I got is a Monday night at 7 p.m. We have a small group that hopefully can meet you where you're at or or maybe we can start one or we'll help, right? We're not gonna say the only time we meet to talk about Jesus is Sunday at 10 a.m. Come or don't come at all and don't love Jesus. This weekend, my wife left me <clears throat> for two, three, two days. It feels like two months with two children under three and a half. That's right, guys. I want you to have all the compassion on me. And um, okay, it was very difficult. I'm not going to lie to you. My yard is a mess, and I was talking to some people that know me, know me well, and, and they looked at me and said, I'm going to come mow your yard. And I said, you're not. And they said, I am, and I said, you're not. I want to do it myself because I want to prove to the world that I can be super dad and have a good lawn and do all the things. And finally, they said, sure, I need some help. Small groups remind us that God meets us where we're at. They do. The one of the people that helped me out sent me a quote. She said, to receive is to remember that you aren't a superhero. Yeah, it's a good one. And so we have groups that meet us where we're at all over the place. I know right now outside these walls, you'll see different tables and one's a women's ministry table. And We have three groups specifically that are going to be out there. There's a a Tuesday evening, 6 p.m. Life with God group. There's a Tuesday morning, 9.30, Young Moms Bible Study, and you get to get away from the kids, hallelujah, for a little while, talk about Jesus. Uh, And then we have a Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Practice with God group. We have places and times for you to meet with people because groups meet you where you're at. And so let's take just a couple minutes, and you'll hear from Delenn about what groups look like in women's ministry and how we meet people where they're at. Hey guys, I'm Delan and I want to tell you about Women's Ministry Small Groups. We've got groups for every age and stage of life. If you're a young mom, we have Moms Together for you. Moms Together meets each week. They have a fantastic meal together. They have time for fellowship and really getting to know each other and listen to each other. We have childcare available for it, so we want to encourage you, if you're a young mom, hey, sign up for Moms Together. We also have Learn Together groups. Learn Together groups have more of a traditional Bible study, probably like a workbook, maybe a video with it. And the community experience, when you come together together with your small group, you're going to focus on what you learned that week. 
talk about the goodness of God, his good character, and what you're learning about him. Then we have practice together groups. Practice together groups also do a Bible study, but their community experience when they come together, they're gonna talk about their real life experience of how this is getting practiced out into their life. They're gonna talk about spiritual disciplines and how they shape and form us into the character of God, how they help us to love him. So we have three kinds of groups, moms together, learning together, and practice together. So we, we, we grow in groups because they meet us where we are. I think we grow in groups because groups are where we are known. I think it's a big one for right here and right now. I think being known is more difficult than ever, and we're more connected than ever. There's a uh, MIT professor, Sherry Turkle, who wrote a book um, called Alone Together, Why We Expect More from Technology and Less from Each Other, and, and she said this. She spent 40 years talking through, researching how technology is affecting our connectivity. And she said, too often the ties we form through the internet are not, in the end, the ties that bind. They're the ties that preoccupy. We, we live in a world where we feel like it's easy to connect, but it's really difficult to connect deeply. Small groups are places where we can connect deeply. Do you guys see what China did this week? Also, you should probably never lead with that sentence in a sermon, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it shocked me. This week, China came out. China came out, and they said, we are banning children under the age of 18 from playing video games more than three hours a week. Banning it. If you're a kid under 18, you can only play video games on the weekends for 90 minutes a night from like 7 to 8.30. That's it. Because they think that all of this technology is hurting the kid's ability to form relationships and grow. Now, we're never going to do that here, but I think it, it speaks to not just a problem with us in this church, but us in the time and space in our world. It speaks to our problem to feel like we're connecting, but not actually connecting because technology takes us away from depth of connection. It is good. Don't ever hear me say something different. If you're watching online, if your group meets online, that is good, but we have to know ultimate connection happens in groups where you can ultimately be known. That's when you're changed. You know the event that caused Peter to actually proclaim God's goodness? He went back to Jesus after he denied him. And, and Jesus said three times, this is John 21, do you love me? Hey, you know I love you. This dude is broken and repentant. Do you love me? You know I love you. Do you love me? You know I love you. And what Jesus says next is phenomenal. He doesn't say then, why did you do what you did? He doesn't say, how could you have possibly of? He said, how could you not believe? You said that I was the rock. You remember that conversation that we had? Where did that go a few weeks ago? He said, great, feed my sheep. Continue on, continuing on, because when we're known and vulnerable and we speak grace and love and forgiveness into those moments, that shapes and forms us way more than punishment ever could. And so groups are places where we are fundamentally known. I love what Proverbs 27 says, as iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend. This idea that we have to be known and vulnerable to actually change because if not, we're just lying to people about who we are, and we're not actually going to change. We won't change our actual self. We'll just change the self that we want you to see. It's a problem. John Ortberg, a pastor, says, God uses people to form people. That is what happens between you and another person. It's never merely human-to-human -human interaction. The Spirit longs to be powerfully at work in every single encounter. We believe that we grow in groups because it's in groups that you're known. I love our space on Sunday morning. 
but you will never be known by me like you're known in a group. I can't cater to you like a group can cater to you here. I can't speak into your life specifically like a group can. I can try and the spirit works, but this is not the space where you're fully known. It's important and it's valued and it's valid, but in groups is where you're known. We're not a mega church, but we're not a small church. And so we believe in groups because you need to be known to grow. Your character oftentimes needs to be shaped by those you trust the most. And look, at CBC, we believe that at a fundamental level. Our kids' ministry is a really good example of that. So we, we do groups in kids' ministry because we feel like kids need to be known. We feel like kids need to be grown up. We keep ratios really, really small. We do not believe in the simple process of just go into a room, let's turn on a Jesus movie, and let's go and call it discipleship. We believe from an early age that all of us need to be known and that we grow in groups, whether you are four or 40 or older than that, right? So let's listen to just Kara for a sec, talk about what kids' ministry looks like um, in, in small groups. Hey guys, I'm Kara Martens. I'm the children's director here at Crossroads, and I'm going to talk to you about children and small groups here. Uh, we work really hard to keep our numbers of leaders to kids low because we know that that's how relationship happens. Kids are concrete learners. If we want them to believe that God loves them, then they need to interact with another person that knows their name, that cares enough to remember what they're interested in, that can see how they're wired, that believes that God has a great story that he wants to tell, the potential in each kid in front of them. That's only gonna happen when we get adults in small groups with kids so that they can ask questions, so that they can feel known. Um, I wish you could see what I see every Sunday as leaders get down and they make eye contact and they lean in close and they repeat back to make sure that they understood and the way they laugh and they connect with these kids. We know that that is what makes life change and that that is how that they will believe in a big God because of the person that loves God that is also showing that they love them. We believe that groups grow us because it, is, it meets us where we're at. It's where we're known. I also think a third reason why we grow in groups is because it creates a habit, and habits are powerful. Throughout the entire Bible, you see God calling his people to create habits. From Genesis 1 and 2 on, when Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the garden every single day, we see the power of habit to transform us and to remind us of what's really good in a world that doesn't remind us of what's really good. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 55, during the evening, morning, and noontime, I will lament, moan, and he will hear me. It was Jewish law that they prayed at specific hours in a day. Not because God's legalistic. He didn't say, Moses, you didn't get here by 11. I am not listening anymore. He did it because he knew the power of habit and that we needed it. Because so often, this is a whole series of numbers in the summer. So often, if we don't have habitual rhythms that remind us of God's goodness, we will be reminded that God isn't good by the circumstances around us. And so the power of habit is massive in forming us. Great example is Daniel chapter one. He gets taken by the Babylonians and they're trying to pressure him into breaking his habits with God. He says, I won't do that. I will stand for what I know to be true in the middle of this world that lies to me in Babylon, that tells me good, good things, uh, that tells me not good things are good. And so he prays and he gets in trouble for it. You know the story, right? Lions, den, don't eat him, yay, win God. And so there is this beauty in habit that forms us and our groups meet on a habitual basis. When I led student groups back in the day, we would sit down with our students and we would have a, a um, kind of a constitution, if you will, it's a strong word, covenant's a strong word. We just agree to some things together as a group. We'd agree to show up and we'd agree to do the homework if there was some and we'd agree to, you know, those things. And one of the questions that always came up was, well, 
what can I miss for? And I was like, you got the right spirit. Thanks for coming. Uh, and, and they would say, well, what, what, what are we allowed to miss for? Really healthy exercise. And so well, let's open. Let's talk about it. What do, what do you guys think is appropriate? And they'd say, well, midterms. Cool. You can miss for midterms. And what do students say? Well, tests. And other students would be like, you knew that test was coming. Don't do that. You know, you have to be here for that. And I was like, that's right. I like this kid, you know. And, and what that would do is help us hold people accountable because if we don't have the habit of going, then we fall into the momentary desires of the, search, of the circumstance and situation. Habits form us. There's a really great book called The Power of Habit, and in it, the author says this, champions don't do extraordinary things. They do ordinary things, but they do them without thinking too fast for the other team to react. They follow the habits they've learned. Habits frees us from the confines of momentary desires and allows us to live into what we truly value. Small groups creates habits. They create a rhythm that we can't get away from and a people that won't let us get away from it. Because life is busy and there are so many different things I could be doing other than my Bible study or my men's group or my community group or my kids group or my student group. But what small groups do is they hold us accountable to the habits that are good and life-giving. So let's see how men's groups meet and talk about the need just for guys to get away and follow Jesus together. Britt's going to tell us about it. Hey guys, I'm Britt, and I'm going to talk a little bit about men's ministry. At Crossroads, we love for men to get together as friends and comrades in Bible studies so they can pursue following Jesus together. As men, we often compartmentalize our lives. We've got our family, we've got our jobs, we've got the other things that we love to do. But if we don't actually take the time and set it aside for something that we value, we may not get to it. We're really busy. Our CBC men's groups meeting at all times of the day with all kinds of ages are an opportunity for you to get with other men who are prioritizing their relationship with Jesus. As we read the word, as we go through studies, we grow together, we learn how to be better men, and then we go into the community, into our families, and into our jobs. If you want to sign up for a CBC men's group, visit crossroadsbible.org slash men. So sanctification is the will of God for us to grow our influence of Jesus in our lives. And we grow in groups at Crossroads because we believe it meets us where we are. It's where we're known. It creates good, godly, healthy habits that we can't run away from. And then finally, here's the big one. We grow in groups because it points us to a bigger picture or the bigger purpose. So often we forget how incredibly relational we are. How, how that's not just what we're supposed to do, but God, how God wired us. It is intrinsic into the Trinity himself. God is relationship. I was talking this morning with some friends, and they went to visit um, his mother-in-law in, in Oklahoma. She lives in a tiny house there, and she moved from where she lived in Abilene. And I think it's Abilene, might be some West Texas small deserty town, okay? And, and she was, maybe Odessa, anyway, she, he was saying that she just really wants to go back to Abilene, Odessa, whatever that town was. And I said, she wants to go back there. I said, that's the power of relationship. <laughs> that you don't just leave, but you want to go back to this small West Texas deserty town. If you're from there, I'm so sorry. It's just not pretty, okay? We are wired for relationship because what that does is it reminds us that God wants a relationship with us. It points to the bigger picture because so often when we get in groups, we have to sacrifice for one another. It decentralizes us from us. It reminds us that the gospel is not about us, but it's for us. Small groups show us that we're there to serve one another and show people that Jesus loves them. I love what um, 
Francis Schaeffer, a theologian, said, he said, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. Small groups remind us of the value of loving others in a culture that is incredibly consumer-driven. It shows us the bigger picture of what the gospel does, <laughs> that God's at the center and we're not. We need groups to remind us of the bigger picture and purpose of what God is doing. Because so often, the most God I'm going to see today might be in the life of somebody next to me. How God is moving and changing and shifting and growing. And how the process of sanctification shows people the beauty of Jesus. I need others to do that. That's how we were wired. It's the power of relationship and the power of God to change us through those as we pursue him together. One of my favorite metrics on the power of relationship is, again, coming from a student ministry background, there's all these stats out there that tell you how many kids leave the church when they go to college, and whatever stat you choose, it's not good. And they would say that, you know, the number one, the number one factor to whether a kid keeps his faith or not is how many other people invested in him along the way when he was growing up. Not how many times mom and dad yelled at him for it, not how many times he went to youth group, not how many times he sat through a too long sermon that was promised to be short, how many people invested in him along the way. That's what I love about our student ministry is we have groups and we have people that invest in students, and Nick's going to tell you about it. Hey, everybody, I'm Nick, and I am the youth pastor here at Crossroads. I want to take a little time to share with you what we do in our small groups in student ministry. So first of all, we meet on Wednesday nights from 6 to 8. We show up, we hang out, we play games, we eat food, we worship together, we pray together, and then we split off into our groups. Now, we are so blessed with the wonderful adult leaders from Crossroads that have chosen to invest their time in the lives of students. These guys have really chosen to do something special by working with these students. It is difficult, it is fun, but man, the results that we see in small groups with students are just wonderful. So on Wednesday nights, these adults come, we do small groups, we split off into guys and girls specific groups, and then middle school spends about 40 minutes in their groups, and then we come back in the main room where we do sort of an overview of the lesson that we've been talking about that night, while high school continues to go through the whole hour of small group. And I'm telling you guys, the small group piece that we do in student ministry is the real key to spiritual growth. I have seen it so many times over so many years that kids in small group, when they begin to see that these adults really care about them, that they really want to know what's going on in their lives, as well as the others in the group seem to really start to care, something clicks and something changes, and they begin to take this thing seriously. And this is why we do small groups over all areas of Crossroads, because we believe that small groups are where the best spiritual growth happens. So really guys, I'm so glad I got to share this with you, and I really hope that you will come and join us in our student small groups here at Crossroads. I hope you're picking up a theme from this morning. If not, I can't, we can't do any better, guys. We believe in small groups because we believe calls us to be sanctified. That's the will of God, to let the influence of Jesus increase in our life. And we believe in small groups because they show us a clear picture of, of a God who wants to meet us where we are, who knows us personally, who consistently pursues us, and who asks to live in a way that points to him. This is why we value it. And, and so I'm about 12 minutes behind where I thought I was going to be because I like small groups, and I kept talking, right? But we're going to leave right now, and there's not going to be a song, and if you need prayer, come and find me, but we just have tables set up. There is a, a map um, that's not confusing at all uh, that we're going to put on the screen right now, <laughs> and 
<laughs> what you'll see is um, kind of our little, our little foyer out there, lobby, whatever you want to call it. And right over here, we have men's groups, and they're all color-coordinated with balloons. Couples groups or community groups. We have women's groups under the stairs and student groups and kids groups. And here's what we're doing. We're simply saying, come and check out a group. If you're in a group already, that's awesome. Find people in your group and talk about how great it's going to be this semester. If you're, if you're not in a group, I hope you heard that we want you to be in one. I hope you heard that we have one for you. And as you walk up to the tables, there'll be some coffee and stuff on the tables just to not make it awkward. Um, there's a sign-up sheet. And if you just need to find your space, you can just sign up on that sheet and we'll contact you. If you're watching online and you're a member of CBC or you've been coming here and you want to find a group and you're not here today, email me. Email Andrea, email Delyn, email Britt. We are passionate about small groups because we're passionate about increasing the influence of Jesus in our lives, in our community, in our world. As Richard Hayes says in his book on the New Testament theology, he says, be who you now are. That's what sanctification is, stepping into the promises of Jesus for the future today because we understand the beauty that he offers us. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dismiss. And I'm thankful that we can grow in groups. I'm thankful you've given us people. I'm thankful that you don't give up on us, that you promised us that there can be a way that we can show people pictures and glimpses of redemption in our everyday that ultimately points to the one day when you make all things new and all things right and all things beautiful all over again. So I, I pray that we're a church that doesn't just do small groups because you're supposed to, but because in it we're looking more like Jesus, that we remember why they're good and why you call us to grow so that we might show the world a picture of a God who's worth following. And I pray these things in his name. Amen.